Section 190 of Chesterfield's Letters to His Son Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain Letter 234 Bath, October 28, 1758 My dear friend, Your letter has quieted my alarms, for I find by it that you are as well recovered as you could be in so short a time. It is your business now to keep yourself well by scrupulously following Dr. Middleton's directions. He seems to be a rational and knowing man. Soap and steel are, unquestionably, the proper medicines for your case. But as they are alteratives, you must take them for a very long time, six months at least, and then drink calcibiate waters. I am fully persuaded that this was your original complaint in Carniola, which those ignorant physicians called, in their jargon, arthritis vaga, and treated as such. But now that the true cause of your illness is discovered, I flatter myself that, with time and patience on your part, you will be radically cured, but I repeat it again, it must be by a long and uninterrupted course of those alterative medicines above mentioned. They have no taste, but if they had a bad one, I would not now suppose you such a child, as to let the frowardness of your palate interfere in the least with the recovery or enjoyment of health. The latter deserves the utmost attention of the most rational man. The former is the only proper object of the care of a dainty, frivolous woman." The run of luck, which some time ago we were in, seems now to be turned against us. Oberg is completely routed. His Prussian majesty was surprised, which I am surprised at, and had rather the worst of it. I am in some pain for Prince Ferdinand, as I take it for granted that the detachment from Marshal de Contad's army, which enabled Prince Soubise to beat Oberg, will immediately return to the Grand Army, and then it will be infinitely superior." Nor do I see where Prince Ferdinand can take his winter quarters, unless he retires to Hanover, and that I do not take to be at present the land of Canaan. Our second expedition to St. Malo I cannot call so much an unlucky as an ill-conducted one, as was also Abercrombie's affair in America. Mais il n'y a pas de petit père qui revient souvent, and all those accidents put together make a considerable sum total. I have found so little good by these waters, that I do not intend to stay here above a week longer, and then remove my crazy body to London, which is the most convenient place, either to live or die in. I cannot expect active health anywhere. You may, with common care and prudence, effect it everywhere, and God grant that you may have it. Adieu. Letter 235. London, November 21, 1758. My dear friend, you did well to think of Prince Ferdinand's ribbon, which I confess I did not, and I am glad to find you thinking so far beforehand. It would be a pretty commission, and I would assengere me to procure it to you. The only competition, I fear, is that of General York, in case Prince Ferdinand should pass any time with his brother at The Hague, which is not unlikely, since he cannot go to Brunswick to his eldest brother, upon account of their simulated quarrel. I fear the peace is at an end with the King of Prussia, and he may say Elisette. I am sure he may personally say Plaudite. Warm work is expected this session of Parliament, about continent and no continent. Some think Mr. Pitt too continent, others too little so. But a little time, as the newspapers most prudently and truly observe, will clear up these matters. The King has been ill, but his illness is terminated in a good fit of the gout, with which he is still confined. It was generally thought that he would have died, and for a very good reason, 
for the oldest lion in the tower, much about the king's age, died a fortnight ago. This extravagancy, I can assure you, was believed by many above Poupe. So wild and capricious is the human mind. Take care of your health as much as you can, for to be or not to be is a question of much less importance in my mind than to be or not to be well. Adieu. Letter 236. London, December 15, 1758. My dear friend, it is a great while since I heard from you, but I hope that good, not ill health, has been the occasion of this silence. I will suppose you have been, or are still, at Bremen, and engrossed by your Hessian friends. Prince Ferdinand of Brunswick is most certainly to have the garter, and I think I have secured you the honor of putting it on. When I say secured, I mean it in the sense in which that word should always be understood at courts, and that is insecurely. I have a promise, but that is not caution bourgeoise. In all events, do not mention it to any mortal, because there is always a degree of ridicule that attends a disappointment, though often very unjustly, if the expectation was reasonably grounded. However, it is certainly most prudent not to communicate, prematurely, one's hopes or one's fears. I cannot tell you when Prince Ferdinand will have it, though there are so many candidates for the other two vacant garters, that I believe he will have his soon and by himself. The others must wait till a third, or rather a fourth, vacancy. Lord Rockingham and Lord Holderness are secure. Lord Temple pushes strongly, but, I believe, is not secure. This commission for dubbing a knight, and so distinguish a one, will be a very agreeable and creditable one for you. Et il faut vous en acquitter galamment. In the days of ancient chivalry, people were very nice who they would be knighted by, and if I do not mistake, Francis I would only be knighted by the Chevalier Bayard, qui est trois preux chevaliers et sans reproche, and no doubt but that it will be recorded, dans les archives de la Maison de Brunswick, that Prince Ferdinand received the honor of knighthood from your hands. The estimates for the expenses of the year 1759 are made up. I have seen them, and what do you think they amount to? No less than twelve millions three hundred thousand pounds a most incredible sum, and yet already subscribed and even more offered. The unanimity in the House of Commons in voting such a sum, and such forces, both by sea and land, is not in the less astonishing. This is Mr. Pitt's doing, and it is marvellous in our eyes. The King of Prussia has nothing more to do this year, and the next, he must begin where he is left off. I wish he would employ this winter in concluding a separate peace with the Elector of Saxony, which would give him more elbow-room to act against France and the Queen of Hungary, and put an end at once to the proceedings of the Diet, and the army of the Empire, for then no estate of the Empire would be invaded by a co-estate, and France, the faithful and disinterested guarantee of the Treaty of Westphalia, would have no pretense to continue its armies there. I should think that his Polish Majesty, and his Governor, Comte Brühl, must be pretty weary of being fugitives in Poland, where they are hated, and of being ravaged in Saxony. This reverie of mine I hope will be tried, and I wish it may succeed. Good night, and God bless you. End of section 190. Read by Professor Heather and By. For more free audiobooks or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org.